if you were to ask me what my superpower is, I always say the ability to have unlimited amount of energy. So, oh, <laughs> well, I like that. <laughs> How do you have it? I want to know the secrets. Hey there, and welcome to Up Next in Commerce, the show where we get to sit down with e-commerce leaders on the front lines of digital innovation. I'm Stephanie Postles, CEO of Mission.org, and today I was excited to talk new school ideas with a long-standing company that has seen it all. And to do just that, we brought Jennifer Elmashni on the show, who serves as the Vice President of Global E-Commerce and Digital Marketing at BIC International. You know, the company that was founded in 1945 and is known for their pens, lighters, and razors. On today's episode, Jennifer breaks down how the global brand is building community, plus how they think about engaging in B2B and D2C strategies, and what it looks like to experiment anywhere and everywhere in order to stay on top, including exploring how other countries are using a certain kind of influencer and figuring out scrappy ways to scale last mile delivery. So grab your favorite pen and take notes. This one was a fun one. What are business leaders thinking about when they aren't winning a business? Family, travel, the latest TV show? Yes, yes, and maybe. But how about quirky business opportunities or little discussed financial trends or maybe even plant medicine benefits and alternative wellness? Mission Daily is back, baby, and our flagship podcast is better than ever. Mission Daily is the podcast for the business builder, the thoughtful marketer, the team manager, the blue-collar worker looking for new ways to think about life, finances, and health. This is for the people who want to break the status quo and laugh a little or a lot along the way. Join me, Stephanie Postles, and my co-host, Albert Chow, as we address the subjects, thoughts, and trends that business leaders think about but don't often talk about. Tune into Mission Daily wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you there. Jennifer, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, same. So I would love to actually kind of start with your background. You have an amazing, awesome, windy journey that I was looking through on LinkedIn and you've done a lot. And I was hoping we could maybe start back in your Walmart days, because to me, that was like the point of inflection of, you know, jumping into your e-commerce journey. And I thought that'd be a great starting point. Yes, happy to do that. And, you know, it's interesting reflecting on starting um, my journey in e-commerce almost, you know, 12 years ago now seems like eons ago and so much has evolved and changed but even back then it it felt like things were progressing and so far ahead of its time so i was in management consulting for several years and my first sort of internal industry role was in san francisco with walmart.com it was part of a global e-commerce business development team and our mission was to take the internal uh, platform and capability at, at Walmart um, and scale the DTC business for other areas around the globe, but then also test new pilots. And so it was part of the original first in the U.S. online grocery delivery pilot, which now Walmart grocery, um, online pickup, in-store pickup, um, home delivery is such a big part of their model. But it was out of San Jose, California, and it was a pretty incredible experience in trying to navigate the technology of placing your order online, sort of the fulfillment of grocery, um, pick-pack experience, 
you know, training um, all of the store associates as part of the pilot and the delivery truck drivers, meanwhile, getting, you know, everything in a seamless experience to the end shopper. So that was a wow. really fun. And, and, you know, at that point, I learned that I loved all things digital and I love the complexity of a true sort of that in-store online omnichannel experience. And I there went to a startup in San Francisco. Um, it was Bloomspot. They were their mission. They were in the daily deal space. So at the time, Groupon, Living Social, Guild Group were all becoming very large platforms and experiences and flash sale, getting exciting experiences at a discounted rate for a very short amount of time. And so Bloomspot was playing in that luxury experience space. It's where I sort of cut my teeth in digital marketing arena, also product development. I officially was going in as a director of uh, learning and development to help grow the organization, but in a startup environment, you're wearing multiple hats. You know, unfortunately that that was short-lived. Um, company was acquired and many of us uh, had the opportunity to move on to other things. Such a Silicon Valley. Yeah, but it was the best, one of the best experiences I've ever had that it brought me to J&J. So um, I started in um, J&J in California, eventually moved to the consumer sector where I led North America e-commerce business and being in a region role, learning the ins and outs of retail, working with all of our U.S. customers, but at the same time, building this muscle with one of J&J's largest regions was really fun, hard, really tough to help build things that were new muscles for a very large established healthcare organization. But it was a lot of fun. Um, and and the opportunity with BIT came along to do that, but at global scale and really help the organization, which is where I'm at now. I lead our global center of excellence for e-commerce and digital marketing. Our BIC has big ambitions to accelerate e-commerce like many organizations, even before COVID hit its peak, building the strategy, the infrastructure, the people capabilities, uh, relationships with new channels uh, in the e-commerce realm are all things that are part of our mission here. Wow, cool. So it's interesting listening to your journey and you can tell there's this level of excitement and loving the challenge to every part of it where, you know, some people could have gotten burned out in those early Walmart days trying to figure out, you know, (laughs) grocery and online. And it's really fun hearing the excitement behind your voice of like taking on the hard challenges and trying to figure things out. Where do you think that stems from? Like, where do you get this level of energy from? Uh, well, it's funny. If, if you were to ask me what my superpower is, I always say the ability to have unlimited amounts of energy. So oh. <laughs> well, I like that. <laughs> How do you have it? I want to know the secrets. I think naturally. I mean, if you were to ask my mother, I mean, she would say, well, this is this is exactly what you've always, how you've always been. I think for me, I have fallen and continue to have this passion for uh, e-commerce. You know, it's it's an area that always presents and reminds you there's never a truly right answer. Yeah. And just when you think you've solved it and figured it out, something else has changed and evolved. And I think being in this industry for over 10 years, you sort of grow this affinity an addiction to this ever-evolving change. And even if you've been in a particular role or with an organization in this area, 
there's everything around you that's constantly changing. So it's yeah. someone like myself who's a bit of an adrenaline junkie. It's, it's a good place to be. I mean, that's a perfect place. You're in the perfect role then. Do you feel like you can um, see things that are coming like down the line? Like what things are maybe you prepping for when it comes to the world of e-commerce? I mean, I know you have a lot of things you're working on at BIC and I see the big shifts to online and, you know, marketing changing because of that. And like, what are you kind of prepping for right now or preparing for that maybe others aren't or like other companies aren't really like thinking about or expecting yet? Yes, it's a, it's a great question. Maybe I'll start with where did we need to start to be able to get to a place of anticipation? Because I think it's a really yeah. important part of any organization's journey. And then I've experienced, you know, doing this in a, a different context, different companies that unless you have the fundamentals set up and an infrastructure that's set up, it's really difficult to sort of progress to the next um being ahead in the next part of the journey. And so um, the last few years at Vic here, it's really been about flawless digital shelf and what does it take um, to deliver that. And we're now at a place where, you know, anticipating to me, delivery and speed are going to be the areas that are going to progress faster than any other retailer capabilities are evolving. If you think about the options that are available, consumer demand is getting higher and higher. It's it's now has always been an expectation, but it's almost now a standard to be that flexible. And you know, shoppers want what they want when they want it and how they want it. So, our ability here at Bic is going to come on the on the downstream end of how do we show up and meet those needs, keeping up with evolving platforms, um, partnering really closely with our customers, but then also, you know, exploring and testing. There's a lot of new technologies out there as well that allow us to connect in with consumers in unique ways that we're always trying to test. Okay. So I want to hear about these new technologies. What are you trying out? What's most exciting when it comes to connecting with the consumers in a different way? Yeah, I'll, um, and shout out to my partners at Vesta who have been in the consumer promotional shopper type of um, arena, but we're partnering with them. Uh, we launched a education driven community called Because We Care. And like it. it started with how can we tie in gamification, a purpose to bring like-minded or, or really passionate people. It's a U.S. pilot to start. And sort of the, the lens of education, which we know with COVID has flipped everything on its head. So how can we serve a role as BIC with stationary education is a really big segment that we're really have deep roots in. So we partnered up with Vesta, launched this community. We started with, with nobody. We now in three months have more than 5,000 opted in members who are feeding community groups. They're taking on missions and challenges. We use badges and points to engage the community. It's through this platform, we're also able to garner a level of analytics, um, zero party data, which is also equally fascinating to be able to really understand this audience that we're drawing in and how they're engaging with each other. So from a marketing perspective, you know, it's using technology and these digital avenues, but to also learn a lot about the dynamics from an education standpoint. Oh, that's cool. So everyone wants to develop a community, of course. 
but I, very hard to do. It's very hard to keep people engaged. I mean, even getting there, them there in the first place is a feat. And then keeping them in there and like engaging with it is a whole nother beast. What were some lessons when you guys were thinking about developing this? And, you know, I mean, it sounds like you're very much gamifying certain aspects of it to keep them engaged. What were some lessons, um, either great lessons or ones where you're like, ah, that was kind of a flop. It didn't really work out well when it came to building this community. That's a great question. And, and actually one that I I had a hypothesis and probably a little bit of a self-fulfilling. So I have a seven-year-old son, Mazin, and a four-year-old daughter, Leilani. Leilani is in daycare. My son is in second grade. And as a mom who's navigating, especially in a hybrid, remote, now back in school environment, that I'm constantly wanting to help the community. And, and I, I assumed that the draw of that sort of passion would be the priority of drawing folks into the community. Human nature and psychology, you know, there, I learned that you have to have some sort of reward system to draw people in. That That's what we've found has been the number one uh, acquisition lever has been having some sort of, whether it's through points uh, or even special surprise and delight, big swag bags that these are things that I probably didn't realize as much that having that little extra kicker is what get folks to not just look, but also fully opt in and engage in the community. So that, that's one. Um, another that I probably didn't anticipate to be as big as what it's turned out to be is the nature of this type of community that and I think about it too, you, you know, you have Facebook groups or other community groups that you have this affinity to that folks look at it as a place to have each other's backs. So this arena of sort of mental health and having a safe group to talk through different um, challenges and offer perspective, that's another arena that I didn't, uh, more an internal lens and focus versus, you know, working directly with your school. So learning. Two great ones. So after, I mean, this community is already growing pretty quickly. It sounds like it's going well. How do you plan on interacting from a big perspective, like from a company perspective, where do you want to play in that engagement? And how much are you kind of letting the community run on its own versus being like, but we have like metrics here, people, we need to get some ROI on this community. Like what are your goals around it? Yes. And this one is so tough in the priority which is a tough one. I, I very much wear a commercial leadership hat. So <laughs> the KPIs and the ROIs, yeah. you know, closely <laughs> lingering as a high second priority. In this an initial, you know, six months, it was really important to invest in learning on what creates the, the tipping point and the snowball effect. And what are those things? And from there, start to shape and push where is Vic's role as a voice in the community? And so what we've learned, and naturally, we haven't had a distinct, direct voice, so to say. We manage the community and, you know, present challenges and questions. But I think the reward and, and also recognizing that school supplies and having a place there to offer the community as sort of rewards for engagement have been an area where commercially started to weave that in. But it is it is a balance when the focus is you know, more of a purpose-driven, philanthropic sort of mission. Yeah. Okay, cool. 
So thinking about, you know, the roller coaster of the world and where people, you know, one moment they're buying all the school supplies probably in person and they're needing all the ready materials and then probably it decreasing quite a bit. Um, and now I'm guessing it's coming back. I mean, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but like just recently I've started thinking, oh, I need to get some pens and paper again. I should get a notebook, like all the things I haven't maybe thought about for a year or so. How have you all thought about shifting? I mean, what have you had to do behind the scenes to shift that marketing message and attract customers in different ways where maybe, you know, like me, it's an impulse purchase, like, oh yeah, I need some pens while I'm here. Oh yeah, that's a good idea to grab a notebook to then shifting the customer journey in a way that, you know, is actually having to probably remind me that like, you might need this in the future. And have you had to change the marketing and the customer journey throughout this past few years? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think it's become an and and more inclusive type of approach. Uh, and the learnings came from when everything was on lockdown and shut down. And I'll take an example of the more focus on in-home type of experiences and now recognizing that the in-store experiences are going to be understanding, first and foremost, who and where does our audience engage and recognizing how much the world of social has exploded as a result of, you know, being home more and just several ways to engage that that's become a bigger shift. It's always represented a significant portion of how we go to market in terms of channels, uh, media channels, but also from a creative, you know, being dynamic um, and optimizing based on those channels has been a really important strategy. Um, taking the learnings of what's worked in the period of time where the in-home you know, whether it's school or, you know, the B2B channel is a very big one. Office products is a large segment for our stationary business. And recognizing much of that has also shifted to an online purchase experience. And so all of these things have taught us we have to be nimble and flexible in where we're investing from a digital media perspective to reach and engage. Having flexible and optimized content based on those channels and also taking the nuances from an e-commerce standpoint, even if the point of purchase happens in a physical space, just being there at all of those points in the journey is sort of at the end of the day, the most important piece. And so we can't just be all shifting to e-commerce, but constantly thinking with an omni-channel, both the in-store and offline type of activations and experiences. Yeah, I'm guessing the relationship with your, you know, B2B customers has changed quite a bit. I mean, have you had to find new ways of re-engaging them after this time period where they're probably still coming up for air trying to figure out what is this world and, you know, should I have a retail store? And I mean, from everyone I've heard on the show, the answer is yes, it just might have to be a bit different. But like, have you had to re-engage them in maybe ways you never have had to before? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, our commercial organization, and this is really across the globe, the role that BIC has been able to play in helping our business-to-business customers elevate their own ways of reaching the end business consumer, the end you know decision maker in a more digital-enabled way. So 
might not be through a human touch or a representative or a phone call, that it may have to go through an online portal to shop the catalog, understand your choices and make a decision that these are things and even helping to build that muscle um, has been one that we've, I know the teams have really seen a place that BIC has been able to, to help. Hey there, are you enjoying the show so far? Well, imagine your company's advertising placed right in this very spot during a future interview with another elite e-commerce mind. Imagine your messaging and logo directly connected to the industry's most prominent innovators and thought leaders, distributed across every major podcast platform and social network. Yeah, well, it's time to stop imagining. Learn how you can partner with Upnext in Commerce and sponsor this very show. Reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org and let's have a conversation. You get a really interesting view, I'm sure, into the global markets and being able to see, oh, this is like, you know, what this one country is trying out. And I'm sure things are very interesting from the viewpoint that you get. Are there any particular places that you're watching that just are very interesting, maybe how they're shifting their shopping or how retailers are offering things or just something that's interesting in general when it comes to like a global perspective of, you know, retail shopping? Oh, absolutely. I will always forever keep my eye in Latin America. Yeah. Brazil, Mexico Mm -hmm. in particular. It's fascinating how developing markets, when you compare to a U.S., a China, a Japan, or a U.K. type of environment, that you have these emerging, booming e-commerce, fast-growing areas that maybe the infrastructure still has, has to catch up, but the level of creativity and innovation that's coming. So for example, uh, social strategies, digital strategies that I often see come through the Latin America markets is fascinating. Wow. Okay. Do you have any examples? I want to hear what are they doing over there? Yes. I mean, and this might be, you know, this might be one that I just haven't seen brands do in the U.S., you know, so that I sit here in uh, Connecticut that using sort of digital influencers, meaning their avatar characters who are almost like cartoon-esque influencers. They're not real, but they are very much have a following and act as real human influencers. And so I haven't seen that actually. This has become a really big craze. And even in any channel, TikTok, Instagram, that you know, the following of these literal digital influencers is picking up a lot of momentum. And so it's just so creative in how that's kind of flipping digital on its, you know, on its side a bit. So that's one recent encounter from our uh, Brazil team that was a fan fave of mine. (laughs) Wow, that's interesting. I mean, that's like a whole different idea around scaling influencers. Imagine like one person having 20 digital influencers that they could just set free and have working for them. I mean, that's a different type of thinking, which is very interesting. I mean, those markets are always fun to watch because, I mean, you've just seen them. I think it's called like the leapfrog effect or something where basically they just hop over technologies that, you know, they're like, oh, point of sale systems, never had it, don't need it anymore. And they just skip over. And I can definitely see that happening, you know, in the world of e-commerce where maybe even things that we're trying to figure out right now, they're just going to hop right over it and not even worry about it because the technology is moving so quickly. Uh, Are there any examples where you're like, I see them, you know, 
maybe doing checkout in a different way or finding things in a different way where it's completely leapfrogging the technology we're focused on here in the U.S., like tunnel vision? Yes. And maybe not from a, I'll put it in the technology camp, but also in really the fast fulfillment model that markets like India, markets that are Spain, Italy, that are very areas that are metropolitan and can be dense, even in South Africa, that the rise of the last mile delivery partners, the Instacarts of the world, but at much smaller scale, but several options I see emerging and it's really taking advantage of if the infrastructure in that particular area isn't fully set up for these sophisticated, you know, 10, seven day, one day, two day delivery windows. How do you use feet on the street to get a product safely from point A to point B in 10 minutes. But these are the yeah. things that I see pop up much more frequently in new players than we probably would have seen come to life in a market like the US. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like many of them are taking on this decentralized approach where, you know, companies here are a little bit more like, oh no, it has to be the train driver who's like within our network. And I see these, you know, other countries being like, whoever can deliver it, you know, best of luck, let's get it there. But it's very decentralized in the way that they're thinking. And it seems like it has the chance to scale up much more quickly because of that approach. I mean, I'm sure there's downsides to it too, but um, yeah, super interesting. Yeah. And you know, from a big, exactly to your point, wearing a global hat and having to make choices. So in order to get anything with global scale, and I mentioned before the importance of the fundamentals and the foundation but still leaving room for, you know, if you have two or three priorities or everyone is moving down the same path, leaving one pillar there and a little bit of room for these exploratories, because that's also the only way that we're going to put ourselves out there and see what might stick, even if it's very small, even if it can't scale the importance of flexing that muscle and testing you could find a diamond in the rough that you would have never known that that could be a special unlock for, you know, an organization like Vic. So I am a big believer in, in saving that 10, 20% of your time for really kind of far out there tests. Yeah. Yeah. Back in when I was working at Google, we had the same mentality, you know, the 20% of spend your time doing something not focused on your current project and get you thinking either in a different, you know, vertical or team or whatever it might be. And it was very fun watching the things that would come out of these 20% projects. And, you know, many of them turned into like very large business units within Google. And it was very impressive of like what one person could do, even though most of the time they call it 120% time because they're like, you still just have to work 100% of your job. This is like the extra 20 on top of it when you're at home. But regardless, cool things came out of it. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if we're that far behind the Google Google factor. (laughs) Yeah. What are some projects right now that you have in that maybe, you know, 10, 20% bucket that you all are experimenting with that you're super excited about, but you don't know if it's, you know, going to work out? Yes. I've, our Because We Care community is one and one that it, I wouldn't put it in the, we don't know if it's going to work out because I knew it would work out, <laughs> but it just was showing that in one market and now we're starting to do it in, in more markets. So also shout out to uh, Rachel Tipograph and the Micmac crew as an example of, you know, 
the rise of social commerce, the natural shortening of the idea of a funnel, which really there is no funnel when it comes to, you have to capture the attention in a nanosecond um, in any digital form or channel and how do you draw them into the brand in a really authentic way, make a choice on the spot to add to cart and, and choose. And so uh, we've learned a lot by partnering with Micmac in our US business with you know segments that we were really trying to get off the ground quite quickly. So our body mark business, which was relatively new, it's in the creative skin, um, tattoo, temporary tattoo marking oh. arena, which, you know, if you think about the tradition of maybe what Bic comes top of mind, that using technology such as Micmac that allows us to plug in and engage and serve it, you know, the end-to-end offering right when a consumer is just exploring and engaging is an example of trying to take something new and bring it top of mind, but also pull them, pull our consumers to trial quite quickly. Oh, that's great. So that kind of brings me to the next topic I wanted to dive into. And it was around how you all are thinking about branded content and integrating your products into TV shows or series. I know I saw you all did something with Disney and it was to highlight, you know, the cool things that you could do, you know, with your products, but it it seemed very organic. And um, I wanted to hear like one, how did that do for you when you partnered with Disney on that? And then also, do you plan on doing more? Is that an angle that, you know, you think is big for the future? Oh, absolutely. I think um, really the relevancy and authenticity are the two things that have to come together brilliantly with any partner that any brand I think connects with. And the thing that I love about, you know, from a content perspective, it's being very thoughtful, but deliberate about how you introduce the brand. And so I will say that I have a bias. I would say my major and minor, that my major hat is really e-commerce and the minor is, you know, in, in the marketing arena. And so and bias in the e-commerce sales side. So I've had to learn the journey of how do you do it in a way that builds the brand and makes it clear that the big brand is the contributor to whatever the story that we're trying to tell and at the same time make the hero about the story so that it's truly engaging. And so the other piece that I recognize, particularly in a digital channel, you have a very short window to catch someone's attention. I mean, I joke about a nanosecond, but that truly is how much time you have. And so if you only have that amount of time, you have to present the brand early and and often in order to make sure that you find that right balance. And so I'm a big fan also of testing and optimizing very, very quickly. It's the great thing about being able to swap in, swap out uh, as you're optimizing campaigns with a variety of content that either resonates or doesn't. So uh, it's a big part of it too. Yeah. I always am thinking about, you know, the connection between marketing and then sales and the world of e-commerce and how to bring all those movements together. I mean, how have you, like, what best practices do you have when it comes to connecting the dots on all those things and understanding where the sales coming from? And if, you know, the marketing material performed within the first two seconds, well, and how it, you know, contributed to sales, wherever those sales happen, like, what have you had to do to get all that in place to be able to actually have enough insight to make decisions? Yes, I would say this is the integrated insight and data 
gathering has been the trickiest nut to crack. Yep. Uh, really in any organization, and it is a lot of work, but work that pays off is starting, you know, a bit manual. You have to pull from, you know, we have a social listening capability that allows us to hear what's the chatter from consumers and even shoppers through ratings and reviews. We do have uh, a DTC platform in the US, uh, UK and France. How can we look at how our consumers are engaging on those platforms. And then we have, you know, sort of digital media campaigns. That's another level of of insight that come in these, you know, for our largest campaigns. And then the power of whatever we can extract, although it can be limited from our e-commerce third-party platform. So how can we take the learnings through Vendor Central on Amazon and start to piece the story together. It's the piecing part I I know can be pretty painful, but if you take hypotheses that you have and isolated instances, it's pretty fascinating what you can start to draw in terms of conclusions. So, and you know, it can't be over engineering it. So we, our digital shelf framework uh, that we have here at BIC is called SPARK, which stands for Search, Price, Assortment, Ratings, and Reviews, and Content. That's our framework. That's our fundamental. That's our foundation. We are always sort of dissecting the SPARK to sales arena. And within SPARK, you have which channels to go after, how, what's your content strategy, and always looking at the downstream of making these choices. What does that do to our sales uh, picture? And so... That's a really focused area that we're trying to constantly piece together. Yeah, I hear that from every company almost. That's the hardest piece to tackle as the world you know, evolves so quickly. And all of a sudden, there's all these platforms and everything's omni-channel now. And yeah, just how to actually connect the dots between what you're even doing in the, you know, the marketing side. And I think it'll get solved, though. Over the coming years, I am very um, bullish on where this world's headed and the technology that's backing these processes. I will place my bets on the same table that you're headed. (laughs) Do you have any favorite e-commerce tools or um, something within your tech stack that you're like, oh, this is a game changer. If you have this, you can do everything. Like anything that's a favorite or a couple favorites. Yes, I would say these are one, having a digital shelf tracking and insights deriving mechanism has been and it's one thing to re- you know, sort of release a framework, but being able to really understand how we're doing against that flawless digital shelf at global scale and having a common language, that's been one arena that's uh, been pretty powerful. What I've learned at the same time in doing something that's of that scale, um, you know, we look at 16 different countries. We have over 70 platforms that we're monitoring and scraping. The no tool is perfect, but having having an anchor and a base to be able to look at the digital shelf has been really powerful. The second has been sort of our content operational capabilities. So having a global PIM and a global uh, product information management capability, as well as a global digital asset library combined together has sort of been the third wheel in the digital shelf operations arena that has been really pretty powerful. Cool. I love it. So what are you most excited about over the next couple of years? And it can be personal. It can be within BIC. It can be within the world of e-commerce, wherever you want to take it. But I just want to hear, what is Jennifer most excited about? Ooh, yes. Um, I think for me, it'll be 
I'm constantly fascinated about what emerges that engages sort of the future. So I'll share a story about my seven-year-old son, Mazin, who he is my test bunny for everything. My husband and I got him a cell phone when he was five. I'm sure a lot of parents are probably judging me right now, but I look at it as like an experiment for work. And I, he doesn't have a cell phone number, but is Wi-Fi enabled. So I watch him and even, you know, fast forward two years later, he always had an iPad, but the mobile device was one. Um, he's completely obsessed with Roblox. Yeah, as is every kid. Right, that these, you know, the metaverse and seeing what he, from a shopping experience standpoint, he got a Roblox card from his grandparents to buy things, pets in Roblox. And he wanted to, you know, fancy up his avatar and bought a Chanel shirt for like a thousand. I don't even know what the money denomination is. But those are the things that I get excited. Now, it's a little scary if you think about Mm -hmm. that. But it is really fascinating what access and experiences, you know, future generations are going to have that we never would have imagined. And so that's I'm pretty pumped to see what's going to come. Yeah. I mean, I always, yeah, I find it interesting and an opportunity that maybe isn't taken up on enough of like studying what like your, you know, your kid is doing like at age seven or 14. And I feel like there's a lot going on. And I mean, I keep hearing Roblox popping up over and over. And this is a world that I know nothing about. I mean, I think we did just have their CIO on one of our other podcasts. Oh, fascinating. But I mean, it's it's a good point. And like, how do we study what this younger generation is doing? Because even on the last, I just had an interview right before this one and uh, with Sweetwater. And he was just saying like, we really are trying to figure out what the younger generation is doing and how to get in front of them. And connecting with them is so vastly different than who our current customer profile is. And I heard it from Slumberland Furniture, too. She was saying the same thing. Like, we have an older demographic of customers and we have to shift to the newer ones. How, I mean, how do you think brands should be studying this and playing in this field? And this can be outside of Vic, but like, how should they be studying this and trying things out to see what works? Because I do feel like there's going to be this wave where all of a sudden it's a whole different demographic who pops up. They finally have purchasing power. They're able to get the things that they want. And it seems like right now, like, we don't understand them very well. And Yes, I want to hear your thoughts on that. Oh, absolutely. I am a learn by doing. I've always been a learn by doing type of person. And so I do think for any brand uh, or business, immersing yourself to the extent that you can in that environment. And it's interesting that I'm sure, you know, many parents will keep rolling with this, you know, with my son and his kind of digital connectivity that. I wanted him to show us how he's experiencing this very naturally. Whereas I have to also respect that, you know, I think a lot of folks put, there should be boundaries for seven-year-olds. He's got a lot of boundaries, but this is one that, you know, when sort of left to your own devices and being in exploration mode, you can pick up on such fascinating and see the future right before your eyes. And so, that's a one isolated experience, but almost getting hands-on and trying versus you have an agency come and share a yeah. beautiful presentation with all the insights and analytics to make a choice. Sometimes if you see and experience something directly yourself or through your target audience, it's saving a little bit of grace and investment to just go try with 
not low expectations, but the start small type of mindset. Because again, that 20% gem in the, you know, diamond in the rough that unless you just tinker a little bit, um, you'll never really know. Yeah. Because you can't, you didn't experience it yourself. Like you said, you know, I could never, I couldn't play Roblox for the life of me. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, that's such a great point. I love hearing that. It reminds me of, I was talking with my, one of my friends who builds NFTs and she's like in some gaming thing where you make money within the game and all these things. She kept explaining to me and I was like, oh, I don't know what you're really talking about. She's like, just get in there with me. Like you can just build an NFT with me. We can do it together. And I was like, oh, that would actually be way easier than you telling me all the logic behind it and how it's hooked up. Like, I'll just do it and then I'll understand. That's a perfect example. (laughs) That is a perfect example. Yeah. Love that. Well, Jen, this has been a wonderful interview. I've really loved having you on the show. Uh, Super fun. I've loved your energy, as you already know. So thank you for coming on and being a great guest. Where can people learn more about what you're up to and what Vic is up to? Yes. Well, LinkedIn is, is the best place to stay connected. So, you know, please follow, follow along um, Jennifer Almashni in LinkedIn, but also follow our big social channel on um, our big handle on, on LinkedIn that we're doing so many fantastic things. Follow us on Instagram as well. Please also share ideas. I mean, I get pings and messages and all the time that I'm constantly exploring and seeing what others are doing. So I encourage others to share uh, your learnings too. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Hey listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time. Thank you for checking out another epic hour of business insights and inspiration on the Up Next in Commerce podcast. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in partnering with us to bring your brand to a growing audience of e-commerce experts, reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to get the conversation started.